A German fairy tale tells us what happens when a man learns the language of animals. And then we take a look at a bizarre conspiracy theory that has traveled around the world. Is it possible that every time a black person dies, it's really a white person killing them to steal their organs? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. One more day till Dimensional Merge. Not actually the Dimensions is going to merge tomorrow, but I'm, I'm putting that off one more day. It's a fairly complicated story. If people know who Chris Chan is, you know there's like, what, a decade and a half worth of material involving Chris. So... You can understand why the story's taking a while. But anyways, we're going to definitely do that one tomorrow. But before we get started, we got two new Patreons I want to give a shout out to. We have Backdoor Burglar, famed for all of his break-ins using the back door. And assume that, I assume there's no sexual connotation there. And then William Thompson. William Thompson. He is also a Patreon supporter. So I want to thank you guys so much for supporting the Patreon means a lot really takes a lot of weight off of doing the show I'm, i think i'm going to invest in some gear i think i'm going to use the money to invest some gear i really wanted to start doing interviews but i'd rather have in-person interviews and i would need um i just need like a little mixer to do that and i've made enough money on the patreon to buy a mixer so i appreciate that like it really is being used for the show so Let's go ahead and get started with our episode here. Now, again, thank you guys so much. And thank you to all my listeners, actually. Whether or not you donate to the Patreon, I really, really appreciate the fact that you guys are listening to the show. And word of mouth helps a lot. If you can't donate to the Patreon, just get the word out. Totally cool, man. I totally get it. So let's go ahead and get started with our first story here. Now, our first story, I'm going to tell you the story of the language of the beast. And I want you to try to predict the ending, the moral of this story. I want you to try to predict it. There's a lot of twists and turns, so I think every time there's a pivotal moment in the story, you're going to have to reassess what the ending is, but uh, I want to see if you guys can predict it. If you can accurately predict the ending or the moral of this story, I'll buy you a Coke. We're going back. This was written in a book called The Crimson Fairy Book, which is obviously a little ominous. This is an actual German folktale that was collected in a book back in 1903. So this is totally legit. This isn't something someone busted out on the internet. This is totally legit fairy tale that existed long before 1903, and then some guy got together and wrote them all down. So let us travel back into rural Germany. Little German hill. There's no specified town, because, you know, it's a fairy tale. You kind of want it to be universal. We're on a little grass hill, and there is a bunch of sheep, Coming up, walking up over the hill. And then a shepherd, a magnificent shepherd. He's just an ordinary guy. He's not magnificent. He's just a normal shepherd. Comes walking over the hill. I want this to be all cinematic for you guys. Blue sky in the background. He's walking up over the hill. So the shepherd, he doesn't have a name. So we'll call him um, Wilhelm. And then we got William. I guess that's kind of the same thing, right? Anyways, Wilhelm. uh, We'll just call him Will. Whatever. Um, Will is walking up over this hill with all of his sheep, right? And... He's spy. He's looking around, and he's like, "Yeah, my job. You know, it's a job. It's a job. Like this isn't what I wanted to be. I always wanted to be a potter, but I'm a shepherd. So what are you gonna do about it?" He turns to the camera, gives that little dialogue. I don't know where that came from. That doesn't happen. That's not in the story. The shepherd comes over the hill with his sheep. Is what I'm trying to say. 
I, I, I can't throw you too many curveballs. Otherwise, you'll be like, I, I can't predict the end of the story. You made up half of it. So the shepherd is coming over the hill. Now he sees off in the distance a forest fire. And he's like, oh, dude, that sucks. Like, there's pears over there. And like, okay, think about it. Nowadays, when there's a forest fire, you're like, oh, you know, I have to deal with smoke in the area for a while, and it kind of sucks. Back then, a forest fire would be the equivalent of every Walmart burning down. Like, you needed the forest to get your food and to forage for stuff. Nowadays, when there's a forest fire, people are just like, okay, to be fair, unless you live in that forest, if you have a house in that forest, you're a little more than, but for most people, it's just kind of like, oh, that sucks. So anyways, he's watching his livelihood burn. Someone else's livelihood. He's just a shepherd, you know. But anyway, so he runs into the burning forest. Now, he has his staff, and he leaves all the sheep up on the hill, right? And he runs in the forest, and he sees a snake in the tree. Or in a tree, because it's a forest. There's a snake in a tree. And all around the tree that the snake is trapped in is on fire. And Will's like, oh, man, that sucks. Like, I feel bad for that snake. If only there was some way I could get to save the snake. And he thinks about it for a second. He goes, aha, I have this staff. I have this six-foot-long staff. So he holds it out, and the snake hops onto the staff. Like, he's holding it out over the fire, obviously. And he's not holding it through the fire. The snake jumps on the staff and, like, slithers down the staff. And Will's like, oh, that's perfect. I have saved this snake And then he realizes there is a snake slithering down his staff, and it slithers up his arm and then coils itself around his neck. And he stood there quietly. Actually, he slowly walked away because there's a fire raging. He leaves the forest. But he's thinking, this snake's going to kill me. And then the snake goes, Thank you so much for rescuing me. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to keep doing that voice. That's annoying. And then goes in a normal human voice, my father is king of the snakes. And because you rescued me, if you take me home, my father will give you anything you ask for. But I'll tell you what you should ask for. You should ask for the language of beasts. I can't really say that word correctly. So the language of animals. You can talk to animals, right? And so William goes, that, that, okay, that is fair. Oh, first off, he's like, whoa, a talking snake? And then he goes, oh, so you know this, you're related to the king? Yeah, sure, I'll I'll take you home, I'll get some treasure. And the snake's like, yes, but ask for the language of beasts. Beasts. That's what the snake does. And then from then I use this word animals. So he ends up walking, the snake shows him where the kingdom is of the snakes. And they get to this giant archway that's made of nothing but snakes, which would be a lousy job. Because imagine if you were like emperor of Rome, and then you hired a bunch of people to just be your door. And they just all had to climb all over until a guest showed up. So they show up. The snakes move out of the way. The shepherd and the snake walk through. And the king's like, oh, thank God. Well, he sees him first. He wasn't just having an orgasm in the corner. The snake looks over and sees the pair come in the room. And he goes, oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. You brought my daughter home. Now, at this point in the story, I stopped. And I go, that's interesting. Because when I was reading the story, I wasn't picturing a female snake. The snake, there was no clarification what the gender of the snake was when it first showed up. But then once the dad said, oh, thanks, she brought my daughter home. I immediately imagined the sexiest snake possible. Like this hot princess snake with like big eyelashes, like a cartoon snake. So anyways, once the story said that, I was like, oh, it was a girl. So then I imagined 
they walk in. His hair's all messed up. She's smoking a cigarette. She's smoking it with her little tail. And the dad's like, oh, thank God you brought my daughter home. Took you quite a long time. Where were you guys for a couple hours? And the shepherd's like, listen, man. It was a crazy night, crazy night. And the, the the daughter snake's all relaxed. She's like, oh, thanks. So she falls off. She's She can't even move at this point. Yeah, I was just now imagining a sexy snake with big eyelashes. But anyways, it doesn't matter because he's not banging the snake. That's not that's not a subplot of the story. Again, I had that's a subplot of my fan fiction where they like go off on this jaunting adventure. John, what the hell is that? Jaunting adventure. Anyways... Anyway, so the snake goes, Dad, I was saved by this handsome, strong, well-endowed shepherd. You have to give him anything that he wants. And this, the king goes, yeah, of course, dude. What do you want? He, shepherd goes, I want the language of the animals. And the king goes, no, nah, I don't want to give that to you. Like, I, you, you, won't, you don't want that. Because if I give you that, there's a big catch to it. And the shepherd's like, I really want the language of the animals. And and we don't, that went back and forth for a while, and the king says, okay, listen, I will give you the language of the animals, but here's the catch. If you tell any other human that you can speak to animals, you will die on the spot. There's no wiggling around that. I'm a snake, and I know wiggling. You can't do it. And the shepherd goes, fine, dude, totally. I will do that. I will never tell anyone else. And the king was like, oh, okay, but you will, and you will die on the spot. So then the snake goes, open your mouth. And dude opens his mouth. The snake spits in his mouth. And, you know, it's a German fairy tale. So, of course, there's going to be some weird fetish stuff in here. And the snake, the king goes, now spit in my mouth. The shepherd's all, and the snake is like, okay, I'm going to spit in your mouth again. And that went back and forth about three times. And then the king goes, you can now understand the language of animals. Now, a little bit of a weird thing. He hasn't seemed to have a hard time talking to snakes so i don't know like why these dudes are able to talk to him but i guess the story has to start somewhere that's just the beginning so the dude i'm gonna try to catch this up because that took much much longer than i thought it would uh shepherd leaves and he starts walking through the countryside and he hears all the animals talking just about random stuff very boring because what do, if you walk through town what do people talk about random stuff he goes back to his flock and his sheep are stupid so they're not really saying anything and he goes to take a nap and he hears these two ravens fly and they land on a branch nearby and they go oh, look at that shepherd there sleeping away if only he knew underneath him, like a couple feet underneath him, was a vast treasure. The shepherd heard that, jumped up, dug up the treasure, and became the richest man in the land. It was more money than anyone else had. The story then fast forwards 10, 15 years. He's married. He has a bunch of land. Well respected in the area. And there's a giant party going on. This is a weird subplot. There's a giant party going on. There's a giant party going on. He goes to the party with his wife. And he, there's a key detail about his wife, too, that is also not listed until later. But they they go to the... She's not a snake. They go to this big party. And while they're at the party, Shepard's walking around. He's not a shepherd now. He's a rich, rich man. He's walking by and he sees some dogs, like some guard dogs and some wolves conversing. And the wolves go, hey, dude, dude, hey, I got a plan. Let us in tonight and we will kill all the sheep. And the dogs are like, that's a terrible plan. And the wolf's like, you didn't let me finish. We'll kill the sheep, and then you get to eat half of them, and we eat half of them. And the dogs are like, it has been a long time since we've actually had a like a real bloody meal. So they're conspiring, and then this he sees this old hound dog walk up and go, as long as I have two teeth, I will defend my master's property. And the shepherd's like, very, very good. So then he goes to the owner of the property. He goes, hey, listen, man, I got a jet. I got to bounce out. But 
kill all your dogs, except for the old one. The dude's like, what are you talking about? He's like, trust me. And then he leaves. Th- that really has nothing to do with the story. It's almost like this weird conspiratorial wolf drool can't melt wooden fences. Like, why is this just like an inside job? And I'm wondering if that was like a common fear in Germany back in the time. Where that your sheep would get attacked and you'd be like, oh, that's weird. I have some of the best guard dogs in the business. And I wonder if people thought their guard dogs were like sleeper agents with the wolves. Because that has nothing to do with the rest of the story. <laughs> that's a bizarre detail. So the dude, the shepherd, is riding home from this party, right? He's riding home with his wife. And his horse is probably a good, I don't know, 10, 15 feet in front of his wife's horse. They're just riding down this trail. And so uh, Shepard's riding this horse, and he looks back, and he sees his wife's horse. And again, it's a bit back. And Shepard's horse looks back and goes, "Why? What's taking you so long, dude? Why are you like? Why are you ten feet behind us? Why aren't you caught up with us?" And the wife's horse goes, "Are you are you kidding me? Look at the guy that you're carrying. He's very thin and healthy. I'm carrying someone who weighs as much as three ordinary humans." And at that, though, the shepherd looks back, he looks at his wife, he hears what the horse says, and starts laughing super loud. He thinks it's the funniest thing he ever heard. Now, again, they never revealed that the wife was overweight. Like, they left, that's another bizarre detail they left out until the quote-unquote punchline. He's laughing, and then he stops himself, and he's just riding his horse. And the wife makes her horse, poor horse, catch up to him, and she goes, why were you laughing? And he goes, that's nothing. There's nothing. It's just nothing she goes no why were you laughing like i saw you look back at me and you started laughing really hard and he's like it's it was nothing like i was remembering about that time i had all those dogs murdered and she's like well okay that was kind of funny but no why why were you laughing? i saw you look back and, and you were laughing and he's like listen i was just thinking of a joke that i heard like i didn't i wasn't laughing at you i was just laughing and this goes on for miles where she keeps saying why were you laughing and he's like i had to just drop it She's like, why are you laughing? Come on, just drop it. And so so eventually they're getting closer to the house and he goes, listen, if I tell you why I was laughing, I will drop dead. So can we just just end this? Like, I can't tell you why I was laughing because I will die on the spot. And that makes her want, obviously, that makes her want to know why he was laughing even more. And he's like, I can't tell you, I will die. Yes, I was laughing at something, but... I will die if I tell you. And she is now, there you got two miles left to get home. Tell me why you're laughing. Tell me why you're laughing. Tell me why you're laughing. So he gets home. He gets off his horse, pets it. And then he tells one of his servants, go get me a coffin. Go get me a coffin. Servant runs. Apparently they have these things sitting around at his farm. They go, they fetch him a coffin. They set it out on the front porch. And to end this story, I, I can't paraphrase it. But let me just read it to you. That was written down in 1903 in a book of German fairy tales known as the Crimson Fairy Book. See, I will lay myself down in this coffin and will then tell you why I laughed. For as soon as I have told you, I shall surely die. So he lay down in the coffin. And while he took a last look around him, his old dog came out from the farm and sat down by him and whined. When the master saw this, he called to his wife, Bring a piece of bread to give to the dog. The wife brought some bread and threw it to the dog, but he would not look at it. 
Then the farm rooster came and pecked at the bread. But the dog said to it, Wretched glutton, you can eat like that when you see that your master is dying? The rooster answered, Let him die if he is so stupid. I have a hundred wives, which I call together when I find a grain of corn. And as soon as they are there, I swallow it myself. Should one of them dare to be angry, I would give her a lesson with my beak. He has only one wife, and he cannot keep her in order. As soon as the man understood this, he got up out of the coffin, seized a stick, and called his wife into the room, saying, Come, and I will tell you what you so much want to know. And then he began to beat her with the stick, saying with each blow, It is that, wife, it is that. And in this way he taught her never again to ask why he laughed. The end. What is the what is up with that story? Why does that story involve talking animals at all? I get the fact that he had, like, the chicken, the rooster, whatever it was, had to explain to him how to take care of your wife. That story takes place over the course of 15 years, and the moral of the story has nothing to do with him. Well, it does. The moral of the story is don't, don't let your wife ask you why you laughed. The moral of the story is you shouldn't let women push you around. That has nothing to do with saving snakes from the tree. It has nothing to do with stopping an inside job involving the murder of sheep. Well, that is a German fairy tale. Could you imagine hearing that when you were six? You're like, oh, can you tell me the story about the talking snakes, Papa? And he's like, yes, I will, I will. And the mom's like cowering in the kitchen. She's like, no, not the story again. So we are leaving Germany. We do stop him. We go in there at the last minute. We're like, dude, dude, don't do that. Like, put the stick down. Don't listen to the chicken. He's like, what? You know the language of beasts? We're like, yeah, yeah, we're silent observers. But we can't let you chase your wife around with a stick. So don't do that. We sit them down. They go to marriage counseling. Everything works out. And and I'm like, I'm taking this rooster with us because this rooster is just going to keep giving bad advice. So rooster hops in to the carpenter copter with us, keeps his bread, we're taking off. We're leaving Germany. And that's when you notice I have a suspicious, like, moving bag. You're like, Snake Princess isn't in that bag, is it? Anyways, we're flying. I'm moving the bag away. We're flying. We leave Germany. We are going to to a hospital, general hospital. All the doctors are hot and all the nurses are super sexy. Is that show still even on? I grew up watching that show. But anyways, we go to general hospital. The lighting is really soft and the music is really annoying. But we're walking around General Hospital. And in General Hospital, most of you guys are like, what the hell is General Hospital? We're at um, Grey's Anatomy. We're at Grey's Anatomy Hospital in Milwaukee. I don't know. So we're in a ho- we're in a hospital is what I'm trying to say. And we're walking around and we see a white ward. And we're like, oh, what's that? Interesting thing. We see a white ward, okay? And it is a ward of the hospital that's only dedicated to white people is what I'm trying to get at. We go in. We have a talking chicken and a sexy snake. So I admit I have the snake. We sneak into the snake is disguised as one of those medical staffs. We're doctors, right? We walk into the white ward. There's a bunch of white people there. 
and pretty self-explanatory. And they're like all going, oh, my guts. I need a liver transplant. I am super rich and I'm wealthy and I'm white, but my liver is shot. I don't, my liver sucks, right? I need a new liver. And all the white doctors are standing around and they're like, man, all of these white people need these organs, but not just any organs. They need genetically superior organs. And there's only one way to get a genetically superior organ. We have to take it from a black person. So the white dudes who are losing their organs, their organs don't work, right? Then the white doctor, well, the white patients go, I really need this liver, but I want it to be a black dude's liver because one, they're genetically superior to us whites, and two, they're easy to get. They will then call up what is known as a researcher. So then someone will go through all the DMV files, find out if you have an organ donor card, and then you will have an accident. And then a couple days later, a black man's liver is delivered to the white wing of the hospital. The doctors sew him up, and the guy's like, oh man, my liver feels so good. Now I can go and be racist for another 20 years. Thank you, white doctors. Thank you for saving my very, very precious white life. Now, as ridiculous as that scenario sounds, it is a growing conspiracy theory in parts of the black community. And when I first came across it, it was on a YouTube video, of course. And I was like, there's a little YouTube video. It's a clip of some... Uh, there, Dick Gregory, who was a comedian, uh, uh, African-American comedian, was in the clip. He's talking about, yes, black people are being killed for their organs. And then you have some other people. It's, it's a clip from something longer, but I don't know what it's a clip from. But the theory is, is that black, it has all of those things. Black organs are genetically superior to white organs or really any other race. That if a black person has an organ donor card, they actually become target for assassination. Drive-by shootings, car accidents, suicides. These are all tricks to get the organs out of black people. To put into white people. Because they want those organs. And so... I'm watching the YouTube video, and I'm like, this is hilarious. Like, this is an obvious conspiracy theory. There's nothing to back this up at all. Because we just by really not even investigating it, there's a couple key problems with it. One, just because you can pull... Oh, and they also say that, and this is an interesting part of it too, when the police swab your... So anytime you get arrested, in America at least... They can, and it might depend on different jurisdictions, but for the most part, when you get arrested, they take photos of you, they take photos of any tattoos you have, and they swab your mouth for DNA, put you in a DNA database. Now, there's been a lot of controversy because you get arrested, you get your DNA swabbed, but then if you are found not guilty, they don't destroy the swab. They still have your DNA on file, and there's been a lot of lawsuits trying to get it, so if you're found not guilty, they have to destroy all that stuff. But anyways... They take your DNA, and they say, this is part of the theory too, they put your DNA into a system, and what it does is not only does it help them when a murder happens, they can go through your DNA, or if they want to frame you for a murder as well, but they put it in a system, and then it goes, beep, boop, 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 boop. the computer says that this is your blood type, and this is what your organs are like. Not like whether or not they're healthy, but whether or not they're compatible with someone else. So then you have these giant, and Then so then you have, go back to the hospital, the white wing, that when someone comes in and they go, oh, no, I need a new kidney. You, you know Nog from Deep Space Nine just died the other day? He actually had kidney failure. I guess he only had one kidney and it was all jacked up. So he's on dialysis for a long time. Lil Nog. 
If you haven't watched Deep Space Nine, you're doing yourself a real disservice. That's one of the best sci-fi shows on television. Far, far better than Next Generation. Far better. But anyway, so sorry, sorry, Nog. And sorry that you had to be involved in this bizarre conspiracy theory. But the idea is, is that when they take your DNA swab, they're actually selling your information to these white body brokers. So you have genetically superior black organs. You have all of your DNA on file so they can do uh, analysis to see if your organs will match. If you'll be the perfect donor... And you have an organ donor card. And so then these guys come out and kill you. Now, I'm reading the conspiracy theory and I go, this is foolish for a couple of reasons. One, if you're involved in murdering people for their organs, you don't care whether or not they have organ donor cards. That wouldn't be a stumbling block for you. Oh, no, I really want to take all this human life, but they haven't filled out the appropriate paperwork. Gosh, that just doesn't wash. Two, I don't believe that any particular race has superior genetic organs as opposed to any other race. I think that's biologically... Not true. And I dismiss that out of hand. So I dismiss that out of hand as well. I dismiss the fact that they would wait for organ cards. I dismiss the fact that the DNA analysis is being sold to these white body brokers, stuff like that. So as I'm researching it, though, I research it. Keep looking into it, right? I stand by all my original statements. Absolutely. But there is one thing as I was researching it and as I was dismissing it in my head. There was one very, very sad fact That wasn't mentioned in the YouTube video, but is pretty much well known. And that is, unfortunately, that poor life is cheap. And there's a lot of poor people in Africa. So we're going to leave America. We're going to leave the conspiracy theories there behind. We're going to go to Africa. Now, there's been a lot of people, a lot of migrants leaving Africa to try to make their way to Israel to get some hope of a better life. But a lot of them don't make it. And some of them don't make it because they stop and they find somewhere else along the way. Some of them don't make it because they run out of supplies and die in the desert. But there's been issues where you had a journalist who was working in the regions surrounding Israel, in Israel. And the locals were saying, you want a story? Come look at this. And they'd lead the journalist to this thing. It was a pit of bodies. Pit of bodies of migrants from Africa. And the journalist is like, what happened here? And they're like, well... There's a tribe in the area that Jason is going to mispronounce. It's called the Bedouin. Bedouin? Bedouin. And what happens is they are attacking groups of African immigrants and cutting out their liver and their kidneys while they're still alive and then just rolling them into these pits. And the journalist saw like five of these pits in five different locations. And he actually interviewed this guy named Dr. Fakri Saleh. Salah. He was the former head of Cairo's forensic department. And that he had been looking at these bodies because these reports had been coming in. He'd been looking at these bodies. And he says, yes, you can tell from these cuts that they were made before they were dead. And the cuts are in the area of the kidneys and the liver. So it was very, very likely that these guys were being waylaid, that they're migrants, that no one would notice they were missing. And they were being harvested for their organs. And there is this quote, organ trade is the second most profitable trade behind only weapons trade. It brings in more money than drug dealing and prostitution. So you go, okay, Jason, so you, of course, there is going to be issues of people having their organs taken out. Because you always hear the story about the guy who goes to Mexico and then he wakes up in the bathtub full of ice and his liver's missing and stuff like that. It's an urban legend because really, why would you let him wake up? You just take all his organs out, throw them in the water or bury them or something, right? But you go, of course, there's organ trafficking. It's a horrible world sometimes out there. But does that mean that white people, This is you said this was some sort of tribe, this was a nomadic tribe of Arabs 
And you're saying that this has something to do with the White House. Uh, uh, see, I, I, again, I'm reading it and I go, oh, uh, yeah, that is interesting, but it doesn't tie into that original conspiracy theory. Chad, 2007. There's a French charity known as Zoe's Ark. And what they want to do is they want to take kids out of the war-torn areas surrounding Darfur because all of that warfare was going on over there. It still is. It's a horrible situation. But all these orphans, all these war orphans were pouring over the border into Chad. And Zoe's Ark, this French organization, says, we are going to take them to France for a better life, giving them a shot at actually becoming part of a normal, peaceful world. They're getting their plane ready. The French people are like, oh, yeah, dude, this is awesome. I don't know why I have an Australian accent all of a sudden, but we got 103 kids we rescued from these war-torn nations, 103 orphans that we will help out. And that's when the military shows up and they didn't let the plane leave. The Chad military shows up and says, we've gotten a couple reports about you guys. And Zoe's Ark is like, these are orphans from Darfur. Like, are you really going to keep us from taking these kids and giving them a better life? And they go, yeah, we are. Because we've gotten reports that these aren't from Darfur. They're from Chad. They're not orphans. And some of them you tricked by saying, come with me and we'll give you candy. So it turns out that these aid workers actually did tell some parents, hey, listen, we're going to take your kids across the country in Chad to go to school. And the parents were like, great, take my child to go learn. None of them they told, hey, we're going to take them out of the country. Other ones were kids walking on the street, and these aid workers were like, hey, come here, kid. I'll give you some candy. Here, let me give you a hug. Let me feel those nice, juicy kidneys of yours. So... They took these kids, they applied fake blood and bandages on them to make them look like they had just escaped a war zone. These were kids who were previously like playing kick the can down the street. Unless it was a particularly rusty can, they were not suffering from these injuries. They get arrested. The aid workers get arrested. They get tried. They get found guilty. And they're sentenced to eight years in prison. Now at this point, Chad and France actually have semi-good relations with each other. France was had a humanitarian mission going on in the area at the time. France said, listen, can we get those guys out of Chad? Like, you sent them up to here, we'll put them in our prison. We'll, we will admit that they were up to no good. We'll put them in French prison for eight years. But, you know, can you send them up here? The president says, yeah, sure. President I- Idris Deby says, probably Deby. I don't think his last name's Deby. But he said, yes, I'll send them up there. And then after about six months, the president calls up the president of France and says, you know what, we can let him out of that prison. However, we want a civil payment for our kids' suffering. So the defendants, not the government of France, the defendants and the charity itself had to pay each victim $87,000. And so it would make sense you would want them out so they could actually earn money. When this all happened, the president, Debbie, President Debbie said, this was his quote, clearly... Their goal was to kidnap and steal these kids from their parents and sell them to pedophile organizations in Europe or kill them and sell their organs. So it's kind of an interesting comeback to where we were at in the original story. Is that, yes, it does seem like they were trying to kidnap 103 kids. And yes, you do have black men and women dying in America. You have people of all races dying in America. But you have this thing that you know as a fact 
these kids were being taken out of the country through trickery. But do we really know they were trying to take their organs? Is the conspiracy theory true? I don't believe in the genetic superiority thing. I don't believe in the police state and the DNA swabs and the match and all that stuff. I don't believe in any of that stuff. But I think at that point we're kind of quibbling about it. Because the conspiracy theory is one thing, but then the facts are another. And the fact is, is there was one organization caught trying to pull this scheme off. And they got caught. And there's how many charity organizations out there around the world? How many are just in Africa alone? You tell me if there's anything more chilling than finding a young girl, than finding a young child and saying, I will give you a better life. Just follow me. Put them on a plane with a dozen other kids, a hundred other kids. You fly them off. Child's first plane ride. Watching the landscape disappear underneath. And then land in a country they've never even heard of. And as they're getting off of that plane, they're not being greeted by a loving family. They're not being greeted by a school teacher. But they're being prepped by a doctor, for immediate surgery. And the scariest thing about that story is as that child is stepping off that plane, and there's an inkling in the back of their head that something isn't right, they look out of the airfield and see dozens of other planes that also have hundreds of kids disembarking, headed off to their own demise. Second most profitable trade in the world. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Deadrabbitradio.com